Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. When you think about the word success, what do you think it is that makes someone successful? For you, as you consider your own life, what is it that you are looking towards as success? There are probably a lot of different answers to that question if we went around the room and answered it. But as we are going through this sermon series, looking through the gospel according to John, we have been talking about the fact that we are reframing Jesus, reframing our portrait of Jesus, our understanding of Jesus, not around our ideas or necessarily what others have handed down to us, but what the scriptures give to us and how the scriptures, specifically the gospel of John, present Jesus. Well, along with that comes a reframing of how we view success and what it is that we view success. And we've talked about the fact that in this section of John chapter 3, the emphasis has been on the kingdom of God. And Jesus had talked about how to see the kingdom of God, how to enter the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, there is a way of viewing success that is very different than the kingdom of the world or, or the way that people typically view success. And I think a helpful way of summarizing this with a picture is something that I've shared uh, in the past, if you've been here, and it is the J-curve. And so I want to bring that up again. Uh, Typically, when we think of success, uh, and this is from an author named Paul Miller, and he says, we think about success from a a very kind of individualistic perspective, very kind of ego, self-driven And so we think about this along two lines, and this is when we are successful or we do the things that we want to do or we think we should do or that others think we should do, then we are prone to boasting or prone to pride. On the other side is failure. Failure. And when we in one way or another, do not live up to our expectations or the expectations of others, we feel like what? A failure. And so along these lines, and and Miller gets this from Paul's words in Philippians 3, but Paul was, in his former way of life, he was a very prominent, successful individual in the world of Judaism, and part of that was inherited. Part of that was just who what family Paul was born into. And yet, part of that was also his accomplishments, the things that he had done, the things that he had learned. And all of this, he says, he was prone to boast in his accomplishments, but then there was this reality of failure in, in uh, one way or another. And, and so what Paul says is he gets rid of this whole chart where no longer is it this, this focus, and we think about our week, where when we do well, we feel kind of prideful, we feel good about ourselves. When we don't, we feel poorly. It's, it's this insecurity. Is anybody familiar with this way of thinking? 
<laughs> right? I am, right? This is kind of how, how we live. And, and so Paul says, we get rid of this whole thing because this is focused on who? It's the self, right? Or the flesh. And he would call this the kingdom of, of the world. And we move to this J curve. And this J curve is a way that Miller takes, again, Paul's words. And, and he says that when we move our focus to Jesus and who we are in him, that his life followed a pattern. And that is a J and it began, he came down from heaven, is what the scripture would tell us, and he took on a body and he lived a human life. But ultimately, he humbled himself not only to take on a human body and deliver a human life, but he humbled himself to the point of death and even death on a cross. But God raised him. So we have the resurrection, which we celebrated last week. Oh gosh. And, and ultimately we see the ascension, uh, at the top end of this. But what Paul says is this is the path we take. So I shared in the second service last week, uh, kind of ended the service by focusing on snake bites. And if you weren't here, we looked at Numbers 21 and John 3 takes this account from Numbers 21 of Moses lifting up a bronze serpent and as the Israelites were being bitten by, has anybody been bit by a snake in here? Just curious, actually been bit? A couple, couple snake bites. Uh, so they were being bitten by snakes. And if they looked at the bronze serpent on the pole, they would not die. But does it say anything about the snakes being removed or even stopping them biting? No, right? And the reason I said this is important is the eternal life Jesus comes to bring is a freedom from the lethalness of the venom, if you will. The death itself is removed. But there is still a life that involves snake bites and snakes. And many of you have experienced difficulties recently, maybe physical difficulties, emotional difficulties, relational difficulties. And there's a way in which those are snake bites. They're difficulties. And this is the life that we were promised. In this world, you will have troubles and tribulations. This is what Jesus said. This is how it's going to go for you. But take heart because I've overcome the world. And, and ultimately, what that means is on the other side of this, there is resurrection. For those who trust in Jesus, they will ultimately move through death into life. And yet, the entirety of our life, if we're, if we're living the kingdom of God, the way the kingdom operates, is this pattern of these deaths and resurrection. This is the map that we live on. So if you really considered right now, is there some way in which you are experiencing some kind of a small death? Some kind of a difficulty, some type of a, of a pain, some type of a, of a struggle? Is there some way in which you're experiencing that? Well, if you view that according to this chart, what does that feel like? A failure, right? And so you need to get everything together so that you can bring it back up. But if you're able to actually step into this way of viewing the kingdom of God, this life in this J-curve of, of Christ, then you're able to see that this is an opportunity for you to die to what? Self, 
right? That this is an opportunity in some way for you to die to self-dependence, to die to this ego-driven way of living, and to be raised up, in one way or another, more like Jesus, right? More mature, more uh, filled with this life. And ultimately, it is a reminder to you that this life is not all that there is, right? That there is this ultimate resurrection to come. And so this is a massively different way of viewing success because it allows you to even see success in these small deaths, in these snake bites, right? In these failures and frustrations that we experience because the ultimate purpose of of this way of life is who? Jesus, right? It's not the self. That's how we're typically in the kingdom of this world, we view success and failure around ourselves. But in this, the purpose of our life is to focus on Christ and his glory. And so this is what we're going to see from this passage in John chapter three, largely dealing with John the Baptist. First, we're going to see a reframing of significance. So Jesus and his disciples have been in the city of what? Jerusalem. And all of these events have unfolded. They now go out to the countryside, right? They're out in, I don't know, Carthage or somewhere. They're out, you know, kind of away from everything. And they are going there to do something. And that is to baptize. And and earlier in John's gospel, we've seen someone else who had a ministry of baptizing and calling people to repent. And who is that? Well, it's John the Baptist And he is out there with his disciples. And so we have these baptisms going on on opposite ends of the Jordan River. Now, there were a lot of Jewish sects around this time. We have these extra biblical resources that say uh, they believe that the temple was no longer where the glory of God, the presence of God, the work of God was. And so they would go outside of the temple and so this is largely, uh, scholars believe, kind of what, what is being emphasized. Instead of going into the temple to be purified and to go through this whole system, where was John going? Outside of the city, right? Actually, right up against Samaritan territory. In John chapter 4, we're going to see this Samaritan woman. And, and so there is this movement out of kind of this hub of the temple and, and this call to purification and repentance and all of this that's out in the wilderness. And so now Jesus comes into this territory where John and his disciples are operating and it causes some tension because we find that John's disciples say, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going where? To him. Now, Why was that a problem? Well, because in their minds, they had attached their significance to John. John was kind of a big deal. And so they were kind of a big deal by their connection to him. And so there was this significance that was tied up in being part of John's ministry. And so if people are leaving John and going to Jesus and his followers, they are losing significance. They are losing their identity. Have you ever been part of something, a group or a team or, or some effort, 
And there's another one that becomes more prominent than the one that you're part of. How does that feel? Well, we are winners. <laughs> and so we want to be with winners and we don't want to be with losers. And that's kind of how the world works in our minds. And so it's difficult. There's this, there's this sense of pride and ego uh, that, is, that is really revealed uh, in those kind of experiences. Tim Keller says this, he says, when you respond with bitterness and frustration, so you're in a situation, you respond with bitterness and frustration, ask, what am I loving so much right now that my heart is moved to feel this way? If you ask that question, more often than not, you'll be immediately embarrassed because the thing you're defending is your ego, your pride, your self-esteem. And I have done this and I can tell you that that is often the case. It's like, why did I get so upset by whatever that was? And often it's my ego and, and my, uh, you know, pride that is being upset. So, so this significance has to be reframed and we're going to continue to see how that unfolds. Secondly, reframing success. So does John have the same perspective as his disciples that people leaving him and going to Jesus is a problem? No, he says, he responded, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. Now, heaven was used often to refer to God. They would not say the name Yahweh, and so they would say Hashem, or the name, or heaven, right? And it would be this reference to God. So he's saying everything that anybody has, including this success, comes from who? From God. So is it because of anything you've done? No, and that's massively important. And, and we see that the kingdom of God is a place where pride is not welcome. Right, And when we, when we go back to Genesis and the way, again, that the, the Jews would have seen the world, the very breath that you have when you're born, the idea was God gives you breath. And when you die, what happens to that breath? He takes it back, right? Everything that you have comes from him. And when everything falls apart is when the serpent enters the scene and he speaks words that lead to what? Pride. Right? He's inflating the ego. You deserve more than what God has given you. And this pride is what breaks everything. It's what destroys everything. And it is very much reflective of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, this, this pridefulness. And it is, it is the exact opposite of what the kingdom of God represents. And so John has this humility and he has this Perspective, and he views himself as one who is a the best man. Now, if you've ever been in a wedding, uh, you know there's there's the best man, and often, what is one of the responsibilities for the best man? The speech, right? I'm my brother. We're very excited. My brother got engaged a couple weeks ago, and he's going to get married at the end of July, and he's asked me to be the best man. And that's part of the, the, the deal, right? The gig. And have you ever been to a wedding where the best man, or maybe it's a bridesmaid or whoever, is giving the speech? Who is that speech supposed to be focused on? Right? The couple getting, getting married. Have you ever been to a wedding where the focus of that speech was on the person giving that speech? How's that feel? Awkward, right? It's like, this is not 
This is not how it's supposed to go. You're talking about yourself. This is not your day, you know? And, and there's this, this way in which this is what John's saying. I'm not the groom, right? My job, and John 1, the prologue, lays this all out. His purpose on this earth is to point to the groom. Who is who? Jesus. And he exists to connect the groom with the bride, and we're, we're going to see as the New Testament unfolds, those who come to follow Jesus are his what? His bride, right? The church is the bride of Christ. And so John is the one who exists to bring the bride and groom together. And he says, if that happens, and that's what's happening as people are going to follow Jesus, what is John's emotion? Is he envious or frustrated? He's what? He's joyful. And this is something we see consistently with John. He's a joyful guy, right? And he is in, 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 in experiencing joy because the purpose of his life, which is to point to Jesus, is unfolding. And, and so, yeah, so this is, this, is, this is for him. He understands his role. And, and I think for us, this is something that's massively uh, difficult, to remember, we are not the point of our lives. And we are prone, like these disciples of John the Baptist, to compare, to constantly compare. And I think it was Luther who said, comparison is the thief of joy, right? Because you can't focus on what you have. You're so focused on comparing that your own joy is being stolen. And yet that's so often how we measure, um, you know, our own success. And we compare with other people. And, and again, we feel... Uh, inferior, superior, but it's, it's the total wrong way. Our focus is not on success, but on what? Faithfulness. That we are faithful, that we're good stewards of whatever it is that God has given us. So this is a different way. This is a way of reframing success. Finally, reframing supremacy. So the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. So this is an idea that we've, we've seen consistently through John's gospel. Who is from above or from heaven? Jesus. Is there anyone else that's in that category? No. And this is something that John is going to just beat to death. Everyone else is from where? Right? The earth. Everyone else has this earthly perspective. And therefore that makes Jesus completely supreme. He is completely unique, right? There is only one who has the authority and the testimony that he has. He's the only son of God. And this is very much um, something that separates. So when you see Nicodemus and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and all of the, the higher up portions of this Jewish echelon coming to Jesus, this is, this is what's going on is Jesus is king. He is the unique authority and yet they're not responding to him that way. Right. And there's kind of this, and we're going to see that Jesus is king. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed promised king and no one else, right. Has anything that compares to that authority and and what John is saying is, is he represents the prophets. He's this final prophet who has come to announce the ultimate word of God. And yet John and even those prophets before him don't measure up to Jesus because Jesus speaks what? He speaks from his own experience, 
right? He's not, the prophets before him were given words from God to speak to the people, but Jesus is speaking from his own perspective. Right, his own testimony, and and that makes him completely unique. He, he says, "For the one whom God sent speaks God's words, since He gives the Spirit without measure." And so, the prophets would have been seen as having a portion or a measure of the Spirit that would empower them to give whatever message God had given them. Jesus gives the Spirit with what? Without measure, right? With it's it's there's this unlimited amount of of giving of the Spirit. Ultimately, this is all going to culminate in Pentecost. And I keep hoping we see that, that all that's taking place in John is driving towards this fulfillment when the Spirit is going to come. Uh, by the way, there's a note in John chapter 4, verse 2, that it was Jesus' disciples that were baptizing and not Jesus. Why is that important? That Jesus was not the one baptizing. Because Jesus baptizes once. When does Jesus baptize? At Pentecost, when he baptizes with his Holy Spirit, the church, these were the disciples that were doing these baptisms. There's this giving of the Spirit. And ultimately, Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, he's going to reveal to you what? The things that I've said, my teachings. And so there's this way in which the Spirit is going to glorify the Son, and he's going to reveal the teachings of the Son, and he's going to bring people into this body of the Son. And, and, and this is... This is very much um, what, what all of this is driving towards. And, and so verse 35, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Now here's where all of this comes together in the love between the father and the son. This is something we have to see. The center of the universe, the scriptures would tell us, is the love between the Father and the Son. This is an eternal, unbreakable love. And that is at the heart of everything that happens. Why does it happen? Because of the love between the Father and the Son. And the the Spirit is very much involved in this. When the Father speaks words of pleasure and love over the Son, it's when the Spirit comes upon him. There's this love that that is, is tied to, and, and in this instance, the father's love for the son. And so when you look at these verses and you think about the context where they came in and the way that the, the Jewish people would have heard them, the love of God, the children of God were who? Right? The people of Israel, the people who were born Israelite. And the wrath of God would have been on who? Right? Those who were disconnected from the people of God, the enemies of the people of God. And yet what John is saying is that these elements of of both God's love and those who are children and his wrath of of those who who are, are those who are opposed to him is based not upon genetic realities or who you know, which pa- family you're part of or, or, or where you stack up in this society. Uh, it's based on how you respond to the son of the father, right? And, and this is something that's, it, it completely reorients the way that, because these, especially the people like Nicodemus and these Jewish people, they were, they were in, right? They were on the inside. 
And yet what we're seeing is no, it, all of this is going to depend on how you respond to Jesus, how you respond to the son. If you believe in him, if you trust in him and, and this is the purpose of, of the mission of Jesus is, is to bring about this kingdom, to bring about this bride, this family, uh, verse, uh, John 20, 20, we're going to see this. Uh, we read, having said this, Jesus showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, as the father has sent me, I am now sending you. And and he breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit. This, this was something that was, that was again, that was picturing the reality that would happen in full at Pentecost. Acts 2.32, we've been looking at this last few weeks. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to where? The right hand of God, this place of ultimate authority, all authority over heaven and earth, and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He has poured out what you both see and hear. And then a few verses later. And so that's the Pentecost. It's the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on those who have trusted Jesus, who are his body. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here's where all of this comes together is is Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, right? He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And those who acknowledge that, who repent of their sins and trust in him, they receive this gift of the Holy Spirit, which allows them to be brought into the body of Christ and part of this mission, right, of continuing to lift up the name of Jesus, to to bring a kingdom that's not just there in Jerusalem or in Israel, but a kingdom that's made up of all nations, people of all tribes and all tongues, right? Because that, the Father knows the Son is worthy of that. And so he is now working to bring about this kingdom of people who worship the Son. And and this is where I'm going to bring up uh, Rob Balzer, ask Rob to come up. Um, because for me, so the Balzers are folks who have been here at Fairview for a while. He'll share a little bit more specific. Uh, but they are such a, just a bedrock part of, of this church. And so they are moving to Japan, as he's going to tell you. And when I think about that reality and just kind of my self-focused, ego-driven way of viewing the world, uh, it feels like a failure, <laughs> This feels like a massive loss, right? They've got all these kids and they're just wonderful folks. And so that's how I feel. And, and so I have to reorient my view of success, right? The success is not our church or my ministry or whatever it is, but success is based on Jesus being lifted up and exalted and his kingdom going forward across the earth. And so I believe that's, that's where from, I, I've had to consider this passage 
because I'm kind of on John the Baptist's disciples side naturally. I'm like, wait, no, like we want them, <laughs> you know, over here. And uh, I have to, re- no, my whole purpose is to see Jesus lifted up. And so I'm gonna have Rob share. And then after he shares, we're gonna have his family, we'll close our service, uh, come up and we're just gonna pray with them. And so we'd invite you to do that in just a moment. Fairview's still best, right? <laughs> okay. So uh, good morning, Fairview. My name's Rob Balser. Uh, I, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to kind of get up here to kind of share what's been going on in our lives, uh, you know, with my wife and I and the family. Uh, we've been, uh, you know, kind of praying about this and talking about it in our community group, which has been amazing. Um, you know, the Hawkins and the Hoffmans, they, they brought in food for us as kind of a send-off. And uh, we had a little bit of a spiritual moment there this morning because somebody brought in Chick-fil-A. And I thought to myself, is it a sin to eat this on Sunday or what? You know what I mean? Like, and I got to tell you, miracles do happen, all right? The sheet came down from heaven and said, you can eat Chick-fil-A on Sunday. And we did. It was amazing still, okay? Uh, so, you know, we've been going to Fairview for a long time. Uh, you know, we came to Fairview right when the building opened up. So we've been going here for, I don't know, 15 years or something like that. Uh, I was baptized right outside, okay, uh, which was a fun experience. That was where uh, the pastor at the time said, Rob, you're going to have to bend your knees, okay, because otherwise you ain't coming back out of that water, you know. And uh, so we love Fairview, okay. This is, uh, this is a place where my wife and I, uh, we've raised our kids, you know. It's where I came to faith in Christ, who is the Savior of the world, okay. And it's the place where I learned to be a believer, to grow as a Christian, uh, learn to live in the faith, you know, uh, learn to practice evangelism and lead a community group and serve in, in the community here in Wilson County in Lebanon. Uh, and it's a place I love. It's a place that my family and I love. And uh, so my wife and I, we've been married for 20 years this May. Uh, praise God, right? Uh, you know, marriage itself is a picture of the gospel. I mean, you kind of see it in the language that John the Baptist used. So like, uh, pray for your marriages. I pray for each and every one of your marriages along the way. Um, so we've been married for, it'll be 20 years in May. We'll celebrate in Japan, which is pretty cool. Uh, we've got five kids. Yes, I know. That's a bunch. Uh, it'll be a bunch for Japan too, which will be pretty awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we love it here. And like I said, we're just thankful to get to share some of this news with the church at whole. Cause honestly, we covet your prayers and we need them. So my wife and I, we've kind of struggled all along with what it means to be a missionary, right? Um, and you know, John the Baptist, I don't know if you knew it. He was known for running around with uh, camel hair clothing and eating honey and locusts. Okay. Hard pass. Okay. On that. All right. We're going to pass on that. Uh, but what does it really mean though? I mean, obviously we're not going to be running around in the wilderness. We're going to be going to Tokyo. So, you know, ultimately it doesn't look that much different than what it looks like here at Fairview, here in Wilson County and here in Lebanon. It looks like living out your faith. Okay. And reaching your neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. Okay. And it looks like just living that in a different context. And that was hard for us to understand and hard for us to kind of come to grips with. But really, that's it. Okay, if you can do it here, you can do it there. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we feel like God has uniquely kind of called us to this, to this mission field. Okay, because, you know, everything's kind of aligned with our faith, uh, with our family and with my work, you know. Um, 
you know, I got my first taste of international missions with a short-term mission trip to Turkey. And, uh, and I got to tell you, we went to, uh, we went to Turkey with a group here from Fairview and it was the first time in my life where I was actually tired of sharing the gospel. Okay. It's not like sharing the gospel here in the States where you're just trying to like initiate a conversation and just almost begging someone to talk to you about the faith. No, in Turkey, it was like, really the taxi cab drivers asking me about Christ, ask it like initiate. I'm like tapping the next guy in. I'm like, please, it's your turn. You know what I mean? And it was amazing. You know, it was so cool to actually get up there and, and talk to people about Jesus for the first time. Okay. Which is, is really amazing. Okay. Uh, and I loved it. I came back and I'm like, Jess, what do you think about moving to Turkey? You know, and that didn't really pan out. Okay. Uh, surprise, you know, however, you know, Jess and my oldest daughter got the great opportunity to go visit, uh, Japan, uh, with some friends, uh, of the family. And, you know, I really wasn't thinking about it. It wasn't really on my radar at the time. Okay. Uh, so my wife, my oldest daughter, my sister-in-law, Shara, they went out to Japan and, uh, visited friends and family and got to kind of tour Japan and, and meet the people and stuff. And, uh, they came back and they loved it. Okay. And I had no idea that the Japanese people are the second largest unreached people group in the world. Okay. Matter of fact, Tokyo may be the largest city populace that is unreached in the world too, which is where we're headed. Okay. So Jess comes back from Tokyo before COVID, you know, and essentially kind of gives me the thumbs up. And I'm like, you sure about this, babe? Okay. Cause I work for the army corps and we got offices all over the world, you know, and I, th- I said, I think I could probably get us a job in Tokyo, you know? And, uh, so I applied and, uh, interviewed. It would have been around November, I think. And I was down with the flu on the day of the interview. So if that's not God working, I don't know what is, right? So I am literally having to like wake up, take the day quill, go do the interview virtually and, uh, manage to land the job. So it was amazing, you know? Um, that, that God would actually have a place for me to take my job, you know what I mean? And go do what I do here, do it there. Okay. Do it amongst an unreached people group, get to take my family, right. And do this, uh, all for the glory of God and, and of Christ, you know? Um, and, uh, and on top of that too, uh, Jess got to visit a local church plant. Now, obviously it's not the Fairview size and it's probably not as awesome as Fairview, Okay, but uh, we're excited to get to serve in that capacity with a local church uh, amongst uh, amongst folks who have no idea uh, about the message of Christ, you know. And uh, with that, I got to tell you, Fairview, we need your prayers, okay, very much. Because, you know, it's a big move going to Japan for us. Uh, it'll be a big adjustment. Uh, Jess has told me, you know, kind of tongue in cheek that, uh, you know, the Japanese people are really kind of like her people, right? Uh, amongst the two of us, uh, she's kind of the introvert. I'm probably the extrovert in the, in the group, right? And, uh, so she's going to feel right at home, but she's already kind of warned me that I'm going to have to use my inside voice throughout the entirety of Japan. Okay. Uh, little, little known fact, I'm probably the only person who actually got kicked off the quiet car on the Music City Star. Yeah. A nice lady turned around and looked at me and said, you're not in the right place. And I thought, where am I? You know, and she said, you're in the quiet car. And I'm like, oh, no, I got to go. <laughs> you know? 
Um, so I might have to work on that when we get over there to Japan. Um, but, uh, you know, that it's a huge transition for us. Uh, so we need your prayers for kind of adjusting. You know what I mean? And there's been some, some moments all along the way, you know, for the family and stuff. I mean, my little girl said, Dad, what am I going to eat over there? I don't like sushi, you know. And I'm like, baby, we'll find something. It'll be okay. You know, we're not going to starve. You know, but there's been all kinds of moments like that. You know what I mean? Like we're moving away from our home that we've lived in for 14 years. You know, I mean, we've, uh, we've unpacked stuff that goodness, I didn't know we still had, you know? Uh, so it's been a huge adjustment for our, our immediate family. But on top of that too, I've got my extended family here today too. And I want you to pray for them as well. Cause obviously, uh, you know, I'm taking the grandkids with me. Okay. You know, that's no good, is it? Right? So, um, so pray for my, my extended family too, because it's an adjustment for them just as much as it is for me, you know? Um, and then uh, obviously I want you to pray for me and, uh, and the job. Okay? It's going to be different. So I'm going to have something like half of the folks working for me are going to be Japanese. It's going to be awesome. Okay? It's going to be fun. So, it's a rare opportunity that we get to go and do this. And I feel like, you know, just being here at Fairview, you know, uh, will kind of train you up for this, okay, and prepare you for it. And really, it's about the kingdom, okay? And it's about, you know, everything kind of coming under the rule and reign of Christ, okay? Uh, you know, our, our, our mission statement here at Fairview is reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. And I'll tell you guys, I'm not one to surrender, okay? But Christ is one I will surrender to. Amen? Okay? There is no other king out there who would step down from the throne, walk amongst us, okay? Uh, Not just walk amongst us, but like walk amongst us uh, more or less as a homeless guy of a sort. You know what I mean? Mixing with the homeless, mixing with, you know, the downtrodden, uh, presenting them freedom, okay? And then standing in our place on the cross... Uh, for what we did, okay? And then not being beat by that, okay? Rising up and defeating death and sin so we can be liberated so that I don't have to serve out of some, you know, deep obligation per se, but I can serve out of, out of a liberated heart, out of freedom, you know what I mean? Out of gratitude for one who came before me and paid my debt so that I can be called a son. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.